mindfulness is definitely a journey to happiness. And it can be practiced at any age, doesn't matter. If you are a two-year-old person or a 60-year-old person or 70-year-old person, all you need to do is start. Hey, this is Achim Novak, executive coach and host of the My Fourth Act podcast. If life is a five-act play, how will you spend your fourth act? I have conversations with exceptional humans who have created bold and unexpected fourth acts. Listen and be inspired. And please rate us and subscribe on whatever platform you are listening on. Let's get started. It gives me great pleasure to welcome Samdu Chetri to the My Fourth Act podcast. Samdu was born in a cow shed in a rural and very remote part of Bhutan. He holds a PhD in commerce. He spent 20 years working in private and developmental centers in Bhutan. Then he spent some time working in the cabinet of Bhutan's prime minister. And then Samdu co-founded and headed uh, the Gross National Happiness Center in Bhutan. The center's focus on measuring the country's GNH, Gross National Happiness, instead of the GDP, and its framework for fostering happier countries received worldwide recognition. Samdu has written a couple of books. He has been featured extensively in the global media and most importantly, he generously shares his wisdom on mindfulness and happiness practices at, at conferences and institutions of learning all over the world. And today with us, Samdu, I am just delighted that you're here. Welcome. Thank you. It's a very special honor for me that you invite me to your uh, fourth generation podcast. That's yes. what you call Yes. Fourth level. I, 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 I call it fourth act, but I like fourth generation. It's a wonderful <laughs> way of looking at it. Because when I think of generation, is I think of the ways in which we continuously regenerate ourselves, right? Uh, right. And the possibility that exists every moment of every day. So it's a beautiful phrase that you introduced. Um, I... I'm really interested in changes and transitions in our lives. So the story of how you, who was so identified with the Gross National Happiness Center, ended up moving to, to a new playground in India really interests me. But before we go there, uh, I like to start every podcast by finding out about what you were thinking of dreaming of maybe when you were a young boy. And in your case, you, you grew up in a small rural part of Bhutan, which is probably really different from how our listeners grew up. So can you give us a glimpse of what that looked like? And as a boy, what, what you were thinking of when you thought of your future? Um, thank you for this wonderful question. Um, <clears throat> The place I was born is uh, in a cow shed in most rural part of the country, mm -hmm. which is still so rural that yes. there's no route to that place. It's totally forested. Now it's become a part of 
a national sanctuary, in fact. So I grew up with plants, animals, as my childhood. So my playground was the forest, the uh, playing friends were the insects, the plants and animals. So that's how I grew up. I had no dream of any kind because the world for me was so small. It yeah. was just focused and concentrated around that forest and livelihood, uh, the way that we started with our livestock. So that, that's my early part of growing up. But my brother, having seen a little bit of outside of the forest, was so convincing that he convinced my father to bring me to a school, which was born in the same year like me. And my father thought, oh, my son going to a school far away from the cattle. He's totally dependent on dairy products. How could he survive? So you know what my father did? He brought me to school with a cow. And that's <laughs> how my schooling began. <laughs> well, I, to me, that makes a lot of sense. And I just keep thinking you had a really smart father. You know, that's, <laughs> that's great thinking. Uh, as I was preparing for our conversation, and I'm going to say you and I have met before, so you're not a stranger to me, but I, I did a little bit of background research. And one thing that I stumbled on, which surprised me, I didn't know about you, is that um, you were married at the age of 15. And under, let's say, curious circumstances, and, and, and because that is part of what happens in our childhood that will shape us. Can you give us a little bit of the story of how that marriage happened? Well, um, yes, definitely. Um, you see, when I began schooling, actually many incidents actually brought me to a new level of thinking altogether. <clears throat> having seen a helicopter land in the school ground, and having met the pilot as a young boy, who uh -huh. couldn't speak a word of English, they were looking for a, a plane that had crashed, and this was Indian armies, I suppose. So I knew where the plane had crashed. So with great pride, with my hands around my hip, I turned around to show them where the plane had crashed with some uh -huh. sign. And they understood me. They went back into their helicopter and flew away. So a dream that I had, childhood dream, was to fly high. I don't know what it meant, <laughs> but to fly high. Well, yes, um, I left school. In fact, before uh, I got married, I left school uh, because my all my siblings got, you know, uh, they just separated from parents. There were nobody to look after the parents. And uh, then I started working in the field because I loved working in the farms with animals. And after just about a year, uh, my brother again came back to rescue and he brought me to school, far away from home then. And when I came on uh, my winter break, my parents said, let's go for a pilgrimage to Nepal. And I said, why do you want me to go with you? You know, take somebody who is grown up. I'm still too young to help you in any way. But in, they forced me that I should go along. I don't know, it must be my fate or I don't believe in this, but you know, it has been such a circumstantial thing that I went, it's a long story to make that long story short. 
a group of people met us in the same bus from some distance as we started to drive in Nepal. And uh, we were together all through the pilgrimage of 15 days. And this group had a young man who became kind of a very good friend of mine. And his daughter was not with them, but they somehow made a story around to bring me to their home place in Nepal. And it was a kind of a collusion that they had with my parents. They agreed and they just kind of bluffed me around and brought me to that house. And, you know, as a young Kshatriya boy, a boy, um, you know, we do a secret trade ceremony. And before that, you don't get married. So they even cheated me there saying that, you know, because the marriage that you're going to witness is a brother's daughter's marriage. And therefore, you know, uh, the few boys are getting shaven their hair here um, so that they can get into the ceremony for uh, tying the sacred trade and all that. Would you like to take, do that as well? I said, well, no. He said, well, you're grown up. I don't know when you're going to do. And back at your home, you have to be almost completely naked except your private part is only covered. That with a very thin linear cloth. Here you don't know anybody. Why don't you go for it? And that, of course, you know, I got into, into it and we had that ceremony. And that I was so tired in that very evening in the ceremony as, as they had given me a chair to sit. And there was a chair on my right. And I see, uh, you know, that my brother or, or a friend that we had created on our journey to Nepal together was carrying a girl on his back. And he brought straight her to my right chair, let her sit. And as I was getting up, I had a heavy hand behind me. These were the maternal uncles of this girl who had traveled from far away. You know, the whole thing happened. And after that, I had no choice but to get into the whole rhythm of getting married. But, you know, I was so frustrated with my parents and I decided to commit suicide. I thought, what is the use when I... I am not trusted enough by my parents. And so, you know, uh, there was a big well nearby. And what they had done, they had prepared a small uh, makeshift house outside. And they didn't allow us to sleep there. So the girl and the me, they put in that house. Because they said she's married. She cannot live, now live in parental house. She has to leave the house altogether. So they put me there with her. And I didn't sleep, of course. At exactly at 3.30, I got up from the tent, from that makeshift house, opened the door to see if anyone was around, and slowly walked to the, you know, to the well. And it was a bit high. So there were two steps on it. I took the second step, and I had just stepped onto the wall of the well when a hand, two hands came and grabbed me. And it was the father of this girl uh, who, who happened to be my journey friend, you know. And he started bitterly crying. The whole house woke up. Everybody came running. And this, then they started telling me, look, if you did this, the girl will be widowed. And for life, she cannot get married. You know? And so many things they started to tell me that convinced me, okay, now what has been done is done. I will not do this thing, not, not think about it anymore. But let her study. I'll go back and study myself. A time will come when, when I'll come back and pick her up. Nothing like that. 
in Hindu culture, so-called Hindu culture, yes. so horrible that they pushed the girl and us home. They just hired a car, pushed us in. And in fact, they had a small, you know, um, pickup van as well to pack up all those things, that place that I ate on, chairs I sat on, all those material things also they packed it, you know, for me, for us to take home. So I was married <laughs> as a young boy altogether. <laughs> I... I'm honored that you share that story and and what my mind thinks about because I don't hope I don't I hope you don't mind me saying this because you are known as a wise spokesperson with some understanding of happiness now and that's been a lot of your life's work and I'm sure you continue to learn and discover more every day about it and what strikes me about it that many of us have our own versions of the moment you described where in childhood something happened that it felt like impossible for us to go on. And then you've created a pretty spectacular life journey. Uh, I don't want to spend a lot of time talking about your marriage, but I'm curious because I'm sure the listeners are, if you had to just give us in a minute, a snapshot. So what happened with that marriage? Well, that marriage continued until I had two children. Mm -hmm. And uh, when she was pregnant the second time, she was raped. And she could not overcome the social, you know, stigma. Although I left my college in between, just before the exams to come her, come back home and pacify her and tell her it's not her mistake. What has happened, take it as a bad dream, forget it. We will have life, a wonderful life together. Just forgive that person who has done that and forget it. Mm. You know, forgive yourself even if you had made a mistake. Don't, it doesn't matter to me. But, you know, you're going to deliver that child in uh, six, seven months. So, you know, be careful. Yeah. And uh, so I returned uh, to my college, but after a few months, she had, I mean, she vanished. And uh, just about 10 years ago, uh, 11 years ago, when my daughter was, 30, year, 30 years old from this woman. She uh, wanted the address in Nepal and she was doing a business in Kathmandu. So she somehow happened to travel to that village and find her mother. Her mother has gone crazy. I mean, she's uh, in a lot of uh, heavy seductions. And, and clearly your fate in this lifetime is that this has been part of your journey and part of your story. Uh, so I, I, I'm just happy to know some of this. I, I want to get to the Gross National Happiness Center. So again, just, just to take us there, you know, you studied, you have a PhD in commerce, you engaged in for over 25 years in various private developmental activities in Bhutan, uh, I, I've had the privilege of visiting Bhutan. It's a very special, beautiful, small country tucked away in the far region of uh, the Himalayas. You worked with her in the prime minister's office. But then you, how does somebody start something like the Gross National Happiness Center? Because I don't think anything like that existed anywhere else in the world. And there's this little country, Bhutan, and there's Samdu Chetri who says, 
I'm sure with the help of other people, let's do this. Can you paint the picture? Like how, where did that all come from? Uh, well, the concept of gross national happiness is very much from the royal palace. Actually, the fourth king, uh, His Majesty Jigme Singhye Wangchuk, uh, propounded on gross national happiness is more important than gross national uh, product. In Mumbai, when he was traveling from Havana after a non-allied movement meeting to back to Bhutan, a journalist had asked him, you are a king of a little country. What is your GNP? And that was the moment he propounded. Although he had become king when he was just running 16 because his father demised early, he had this concept of how to bring happiness for the people in Bhutan. So it comes from him, mm -hmm. the whole idea of instituting the gross national happiness. Of course, um, the, the uh, measures, because the world didn't believe us that uh, this can be applied. So UNDP gave us money in uh, 2000, and we started the research with 75 thought leaders from all around the world, all experts from around the world came in help to find what could be the measure for the index of gross national happiness. Now, of course, we found it in the country. We did six, now in, the, in 2019, we had the eighth international conference but somehow there was nobody that took the ownership to bring GNS to the world. Mm -hmm. And this is where the prime minister wanted me to create such a community around the globe and bring GNS to the world. A word from your sponsor. That's me. I invite you to go to the website associated with this podcast, www.myfourthact.com. You will find other equally inspiring conversation with great humans. And you will also learn more about the My Fourth Act Mastermind Groups, where cool people figure out how to chart their own fourth acts. Please check it out. And now back to the conversation. So the way, the way I understand it, Samdu, and if I'm wrong, please correct me, is that you identified... I'm going to call them some pillars or some, some areas, things that a government can do to create the conditions for more happiness in a country. And at the same time, then it's up to the individual to take advantage or embrace the opportunities that are created. Am I presenting that correctly? Very correct. In fact, uh, there are nine domains which Bhutan feels is very important for each individual in the country. So we try to create conditions in these nine domains through which people can practice their own skills for happiness. So we say if, if a person is below 50% of the conditions in nine domains, then the person is not happy. Between 50 to 65%, the person is narrowly happy. Above 66 to 77% of the conditions in the nine domains, then we say he's you know, extensively happy. Beyond 77, we say he's deeply happy. But you could go and ask a person who we, who the measures rate him or her as a deeply happy person. Are we happy? That moment you might get an answer, no. And the same thing might apply to the person that we rate as very unhappy. You ask that time, are you happy? You might, she might say, I'm very happy. 
you know so this gns does not measure happiness but it measures conditions to happiness are we giving enough conditions for people to pursue and practice their own well-being and happiness you know you're going to have to give us an idea of what some of these nine domains are uh, uh, and, and you don't need to necessarily mention all nine but but as you think of them what what are some that really stand out for you well there are five that really stand out <clears throat> the rest are actually measured by all governments now canadian governments takes all the eight domains except psychological wellbeing because they consider that psychological wellbeing is interdependent with other eight domains which i would agree now the most important of these eight domains the five that i'm going to say is time use is never measured in any government cultural vitality and resilience never measured also community vitality never measured ecological diversity and resilience are never measured these are some of the uh, you know focus points where it is forgotten and of course psychological wellbeing is not measured but it's shown by the negativity that happens with the with this emotions people commit suicide and depression those are reported but not work towards bringing yeah. conditions for people in that area so if i add to those four psychological wellbeing living standard health education good governance these are the nine domains of happiness just to give you a quick idea about how time use helps us you know bhutan thinks that we need to sleep 8 hours and now i realize that science you know if you look into google the aging you quickly find out that 8 hours of sleep is a must because your telomeres begin to you know otherwise reduce because they become cancerous yeah and if you sleep well you're going to have a good rejuvenation of your body which means your telomeres slowly will elongate and you age also slower and pass away slower so this research proves that what bhutan did find out that it has is a must and 8 hours other 8 hours work and the other 8 hours the third 8 hours must be spent in house chores for your meditation for your exercise for your eating drinking washing whatever you following your hobbies reading all this needs to be packed in the other 8 hours including your social you know uh, now there has been a study done in us in 2009 which says that during the 2009 the life expectancy was 78 years and 28.5 years americans are sleeping 10 years they are running behind money to get work 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 of their lives 9 years they are behind home chores 9 years they are behind social media it's only 6 years that they give for education and self grooming 2 years they are shopping only 2 years they are commuting only it's only 1.5 years of their lifetime they give for their um, children uh, looking after children and the other four years they give is for only eating and drinking now when you add all that together you're left something you're close to 69 years and what you're left is maybe 5 to 10 years of 5 uh, to 9 years of your lifetime now you're aged you're retired you have worked so hard and made some saving now you want to live a life longer so what you do is you begin to spend all the money running behind a doctor for more medication so that you have a better life towards the end now i believe the gns believes very strongly we don't have to wait for that moment 
the moment we try to learn how to manage our time now and here, we will not have faced that difficulty. When we are aged, we can still live a very happy and well, healthy life. I appreciate that wonderfully succinct overview of matters that are complex. I want to play devil's advocate for a moment, if I may, because somebody might listen and say, well, it's easy for them in Bhutan to have this idealistic view of gross national happiness. They're a small country. You, They're not as crazy or as frenetic as, as we are in the West. It's much easier to live that life there than it is in a city like New York or Paris or Los Angeles or London. What would you say to somebody who has that mindset, who says, well, that's just, that works for Bhutan, but will it work anywhere else? Yes, it is possible to apply this principle anywhere because this principle is based on mindfulness. Whatever development we talk about, the values of development that we talk about, as our king, uh, the present king, Jigme Gesar Namge Wongchuk said, um, very beautifully that development must be with values. And he breathed values with kindness, equality, and humanity. Now, if the whole planning takes place through this process of really balancing, making it holistic, making it collective, sustainable, and equitable, I do not see that it cannot be applied anywhere on the planet Earth. In I, fact, I, cities can be much more calming, provided because what is thrown to us shifts our paradigm. It is not the real. It is what is called uh, the illusions in Buddhism. Yes. We, our minds are changed because of the illusions that, that are thrown onto us. We're made greedy, we're made jealous, we're made comparing all the time, wanting more and more. This is done by, if we can you know, decode our own existence as true human beings, from deep within, we will realize these are not material anymore. And you begin to see the world the way you want to see. And you become much more happier because ultimate goal of every human being, I suppose, is to be happy at the end of the day. You know, and, I, yeah. and for that, of course, we do need basic things. And Americans have done that research in 2010. I think Oxford um, and Harvard were involved in this. That you know, in a city like New York and you know big cities in America, if you earn seventy thousand dollars a year, beyond that doesn't translate into happiness. Until that, you need that money to come into that level of happiness. And of course, if you talk into more rural part or semi-urban part, the amount will reduce. So I think we are scared of sharing, and this is what makes us fear everything that I may not have more tomorrow. I need to have more. I need to have more. That fear has been instigated in us by the wrong conventional economic model called the GDP. So again, we're back to, we're back to distinguishing between GDP and GNH, right? And which is the origin of the beautiful work you've done. I, I want to go a little deeper with just with some wonderful things you just mentioned in the conversation. Um, the distinction between what's illusion that we're attached to and what's real. And related to it, however, I want to say is when, when I speak to friends about happiness, 
one thing that people say, especially Westerners, well, you can't be happy all the time. I really didn't say that we should be happy all the time, but that's one thing. Like, why don't you talk about inner peace or being peaceful? Why do you talk about happiness? Uh, isn't inner peace more important than happiness? Uh, and and how, how do we not get attached to being happy? Like, could you play around with some of these ideas and, and what they mean to you, some do personally? Sure. I mean, uh, you know, like happiness, I would call it uh, peace is actually, you know, if you are not in peace, you can never be happy. Mm -hmm. So peace itself is in happiness. Mm -hmm. When you are happy, you are peaceful within. Yeah. That is for sure. Now, if you look into the quantum physics that talks about the different uh, vibration scales, mm -hmm. uh, peace is at six, or 600 hajj per second vibration. And below that is joy, below that at 514, 500 is love, 540 is joy, and beyond peace, you know, in between 600 and 700, there's something, nothing there. But after 700, you are enlightened. And enlightenment is something that is permanent, that is, um, uh, that is uh, undestructible. Mm -hmm. And after peace, you always reside, when you have the inner peace, you always reside in happiness. Now, to get to the inner peace, you need to understand what it means. Peace doesn't translate with material things. Peace translates with your touching the inner eye of your own self. When you touch the inner eye, then you're able to distinguish the midpoint. You'll neither be pulled by excessive pleasures mm -hmm. nor be pulled by the excessive desires that can bring you down. So you find a midway because you suddenly realize you learn to live in the present moment, in now and here. With every breathing moment, you are in the moment. When you're in the moment, then you don't regret what happened yesterday. You don't think what will come tomorrow. Right. You're living now. And people often misunderstand that mindfulness, I don't have time for mindfulness, they say. But mindfulness is not something that you need to sit down and meditate for us together. That's just a small part of the whole mindfulness exercise. What we do, every breathing moment, every action that we take, even if we're eating, drinking a cup of tea, or taking a bath, a shower, or uh, you know, washing pots. If your mind is completely focused without thinking outside of what you're doing, then you are mindful. This is a practice from waking till sleeping. If you can do that, we don't need to look for happiness outside of ours. <laughs> that was so beautifully said, and I, I, I just so appreciate the reference, reference to the inner eye. And, and all of the different ways of seeing and knowing. That's that's what that meant for me. I want to go back to a comment you made earlier because I, I, I hope this is important for, for our listeners, our fourth act listeners, because a stereotype is that as we get older, and I may say you're 64, I'm 65, we're similar age, the stereotype is that as we get older, we get more set in our ways and that it is harder for us to change. But 
I'm assuming that our listeners are curious about changing and I'm going to just make the assumption that maybe they want to know a little more peace and happiness. So what kind of wisdom would you give to somebody who is in our age bracket around how you can make small changes in your life? How do you do that? Right. And before I answer that question, um, you know, I, I would uh, refer to a research that was done by Oxford again. And uh, what they did was they brought 75-year-old people who were meditating mm-hmm. for a long period of time in their lives. Yes. And 25-year-old young boys. And they compared their brains to find exactly the same, functioning exactly the same. They brought another group of 75-year-old people who never meditated in their lives with the same 25-year-old boys. When they compared their brains, these people who had never meditated, never tried meditating, they had their brain size was reduced, there were holes in their brains, so they had become very jittery, very forgetful. They were not sure about themselves. Now, this gives us a feeling that mindfulness is definitely a journey to happiness. And it can be practiced at any age, doesn't matter. If you are a two-year-old person or a 60-year-old person or 70-year-old person, all you need to do is start. When you get up in the bed in the morning, the first thing you need to do is push yourself against the bedpost, sit comfortably, imagine how you passed your yesterday, try to recollect all that you did yesterday. And think of today, what are you going to do today? And how are you going to make it little more little beautiful, little beautiful, not much, little beautiful than yesterday. And then after you've decided, put a resolve in your mind, a resolve or an intention. Today, I will keep smiling all day long. A resolve for your own betterment. Over a period of one week, when you do every day today, I remain happy. Today I'll remain happy. Every time you start thinking something, you just say, I'm going to be happy today, happy today, happy today. You know, continue that for a week and you'll naturally start to become happy. But after that, putting intention, whatever intention you want to put for the day, for the week rather, do a six minutes of mindful breathing. Not difficult, right? Breathing Just flow with your breath in, feel the chest expand, your stomach rise, and breathe out slowly, feel the stomach fall, your chest reduce, air, you know, leaving your nostrils. Just feel that for six minutes. If you're not used to this, the mind will wander away. Gently invite the mind to come back to again, to breathing in, listening to your breathing. Over time, it will become like driving a car, You'll get into autopilot system or riding a cycle or whatever. It is a question of time. This is the first thing one needs to do. Second thing after this is just lie on your bed and stretch as much as possible. Then do a cyclic kick on the bed. If you can, raise your head slightly or your upper back slightly, hands parallel to your legs and do a cyclic kick with your extended legs as much as possible. After that, when you it doesn't matter how many times you do, do it as much as you can. After that, when you step onto the 
ground. Say thank you, Mother Earth, for letting me walk on you today. I'm grateful to you. I do a lot of nonsense on you, but you never always <laughs> forgive me. Thank you. Thank you. And when you go to the bathroom, please make sure that you have affirmations yeah. on the mirror side. And look at that person you see in the mirror and say, hey, guy, I know you. You are extraordinary. You can do this. You can do that. You know, prepare your affirmations. When you're taking a shower, feel the water run from head till toe. Feel your hands movement. Feel the soap or whatever. You know, feel that. Completely be present with the water and yourself. Likewise, with every event you do, until you go back to bed, you have to be present. When you're present, this is the best practice to be mindful. And I can promise you, people of any age can regrow their brains. They will become much more functional. They will be much more healthier. I, you just gave us a wonderful list of examples of small things that we could do to to be more mindfully present in the moment and be able to do that. And the message I took from it, it's it's in these little intentional mindful things that we we open up a richer, deeper way of being, just being, just being, just being. And for our listeners, I, I love that this is an audio podcast, but what you missed, you know, I, I'm seeing Samdu on videos we're recording. Samdu was acting all of this out for me. So all the things he was doing, his body was showing me how to do it, which was a complete delight. And uh, I regret that I cannot share that with you. In the spirit of transitions, this is the, the last really question before we wrap up. In the public mind, by that I mean the people around the world who respect and love the work you've done with the Gross National Happiness Center and your messages around happiness and mindfulness, they have, they associate you with that place, with the work you created under the guidance of your leaders. But a little over three years ago, you left and you're in India now and I want to you're, you're the head of the Reiki Center of Excellence for the Science of Happiness. Was that a big decision to leave Bhutan and work in India for a while? Perhaps it wasn't. Perhaps I'm just making this up. But, but how, how did you maneuver through that change? When I left, I mean, I was 60 years old. So mm -hmm. it was time for me to retire. And my thought was that I would begin to travel even more, bringing happiness to the world. And it so happened that immediately when China, some people in China found out that I was going to retire, they offered me a huge salary to come to China to work for them. Um, in, in, and I was just evaluating, thinking, oh, yes, let me go to China for a few months and then I fly out from there to other parts of the world. That very moment, some changes happened. There was a letter that came from this institute Mm -hmm. asking me if I could come and, uh, you know, uh, serve them. And I had a tough decision to evaluate. And I realized that India has been a great friend, a neighbor yeah. for all our times. And I think the first priority that I should give is to India. And they were starting in this 
Indian Institute of Technology. I'm not the head of the center, but I'm one of the faculty within this center. Now my time has come. Center is up and running beautifully well. Uh, in June, I complete my contract here and I'll leave back to Bhutan in July. Beautiful. I feel funny asking this question, but I, I want to ask it because we, we talked so much about staying in the present moment. But you also just mentioned, well, I, my, my tenure will be open, it will be over, and I will head back to Bhutan. When you think of the future for yourself, for your family, for the planet, what, what thoughts come to mind about the future and perhaps wishes or desires for it or hopes? My hope is uh, if God willing, if I would get extension in my life, I feel I will have an avenue to really bring this change in the world. Because of the kind of lives that I've touched for all the engineers here, I have a great hope that we can transform children, you know, right from school age. So my hope is when I get back to Bhutan, I would like to start rolling out my ideas in schools as well, create a center for the world, whoever wants to come and learn mindfulness journey. 21 days journey would help anybody to transform and go as a teacher to the world out there to transform others. And I have a hope that although we uh, sometimes sound very negative about the whole world, the world is beautiful and every human being or everything on this planet is beautiful. It's only our dualistic views that we yeah. see things bad and good. The moment we are able to see mindfully, we'll see everything as one, same, beautiful in its own space. And this is something that I still hope we can still create. Even if I'm gone in next 20 years, this will be my uphill task. And I imagine that this is a possibility to bring forward to the world that we all can be good human beings because we have that nature in each one of us. Yeah. Well, when you start that center in Bhutan, I'll be one of the first people to join you for a 21-day mindfulness journey. I'm just, I'm just making that commitment right now. Thank and, you. Uh, if our listeners, if they want to find out more about you and your work, because they're curious or they want to learn more about the principles or the pillars of the Gross National Happiness Center, where should they look for this? Is there a website? Is there a resource? Where would you like to send them? Right. Uh, so uh, one would be if they just typed uh, Gross National Happiness as one word, dot com, you'll get all the resources required on these nine domains, four pillars, 33 indicators, 123 variables, everything is in there. And how it, how it is measured, in fact, how weightages have been assigned, everything's out there for the world. So that's one resource. If they want to know a little bit about myself, they can just write samduchetri.com, one word, samduchetri.com, and uh, they can find some resources, somebody, I didn't know somebody in Mumbai in India has worked something for, for me. And my son found that out for me. 
<laughs> I even didn't know that existed. So they have written, they have brought some information from my uh, Facebook, from here, there, and they have compiled it. So um, then I would really genuinely request all the listeners, if they want to know more about gross national happiness, how it can be practiced day in day-to-day life, I've written a book called Tashi. Tashi means auspiciousness. Tashi dot dot journey, GNN journey. So it's a book on Amazon, very cheap to buy. And there also you get specific ideas about how can you do away with your different emotions and how can you practice mindfulness. So that would be one book I would really uh, request all the listeners to go for it. The other one, which is going to be published by July, is bringing up happy children. And there also I have focused on how to really bring a change within the parents so that they can bring the change in all the children that they would uh, nurture for the future. So this would be the two resources if really parents who think, yes, we need a change for our children, they can go for it. Doesn't matter in what circumstances they are, whether they are in rural life or in the highest, you know, in the dense, uh, you know, cities or urban areas. Beautiful. I will I will make sure that these resources are listed on the My Fourth Act podcast website. So people heard it here, but they can also look it up. Again, I am immensely grateful to you for, I guess, just the gift of you and your spirit and your generosity. So thank you for this conversation. Thank you. I, my All my love to you and uh, your great work that you're doing. Like what you heard? Please go to myfourthact.com and subscribe to receive my updates on upcoming episodes. Please also subscribe to us on the platform of your choice. Rate us, give us a review, and let us all create some magical fourth acts together. Ciao.